She hit the Love rebel Talk gate. Radio. Yeah. <laughs> Blog Talk Radio. Eastern family and friends. It's great having you with us tonight. My name is Neil Holland, the producer of the Eastern Airlines radio show. Welcome and thank you for listening and calling the show. You have truly made us the radio voice of Eastern Airlines. Every Monday at this time, we are live on the air with our Eastern Talk Radio. Tonight, however, we're doing a repeat of a show we have broadcast for the past five years. It's around Halloween time, and it is an Eastern flight on Halloween evening from Atlanta to San Juan. Of course, the flight's path is through the Bermuda Triangle, as some people refer to an area in the Atlantic Ocean. Our crew departs Atlanta in the dark hours of Halloween on an L-1011 aircraft. The script was written by yours truly and was intended to add humor suspense, and reports by others as to the fictional or non-fictional writings by some that has caused this area to be called the Bermuda Triangle. We'll let you decide which has your vote. We will not be taking any calls during the show as it is a rebroadcast of a show we did one year ago. I see our flight is ready for takeoff, so we'll get Flight 434 in the air after this Eastern commercial. The airline that doesn't plan for the future may not have one. Five years ago, Eastern saw the future in a remarkable aircraft. Now it's here. The new Boeing 757, the most advanced, most fuel-efficient commercial jet ever built. It's going to help Eastern hold down the cost of flying for years to come. We earn our wings for from our normal historical theme 
Now, let's see if we can scare you out of your wits as we take you on a flight through the Bermuda Triangle on this two days before Halloween. Now, let's get flight 388 in the air. Tower Blur is 650 volt, inbound. SD 27 left, little Darn it, Mike, I wish you hadn't have brought up about that 
being there in the Bermuda Triangle. Anything can go wrong now. I'd better go back and tell the rest of the crew to review the emergency ditching checklist. And then we're all out here in the Bermuda Triangle where anything can go wrong, and we're having problems already. Uh, Chuck, I've had problems with these 1011 generators before, and I might have a solution to the problem. I even made some notes about it on an earlier flight. Let's just see if the situation gets any worse than it is now. We might not have to use this homemade fix of mine if it stays within the range that it seems to be in. But if we lose those cabin lights, though, it'll be the same as I had before. We'll just have to go through my fix to get it working again. Well, I'm going back to do some emergency studying. Oh, please try to get it fixed. Please. Eastern Flight 388, uh, contact Miami Center on 123.95. And you guys have a nice flight. Hey, before you go, is Luann Wiggins on the flight tonight? Yeah, Luann is working senior tonight. Do you want us to pass a message to her? Uh, just tell her Charlie in Atlanta Center said to be careful out there in the Bermuda Triangle. I know that's where you guys are headed. Uh, I don't know about telling her that. She's already spooked already. Okay, Atlanta, we're going over to 123.95. We'll see you on the way back. Miami Center, this is Eastern 388 with you on flight level 370. <laughs> destination, an unusual radio contact is received by the crew. An air traffic controller not recognized by the crew gives the crew a strange clearance that the crew cannot carry out. Eastern Flight 388, this is BT Center. Please turn to a heading of zero nine or zero degrees for radar identification. This is what the heck, BT Center? Where the heck is BT Center? We're Bermuda Triangle Center. We've been hey, here baby. since 1941 and have always controlled flights in this area. We work many flights through this area for many years now. Uh, climb oh, yeah, to and maintain radio. flight level 550. Bermuda Triangle Center? Okay. Did you I'll say Bermuda Triangle Center? When did they add Bermuda Triangle Center? We've We've been flying through this route for years and never heard of Bermuda Triangle Center. What happened to Miami Center? Uh, Mike, let me talk to this prankster. I know it's Halloween and we're in the middle of the so-called Bermuda Triangle, but just going a little bit overboard. Center, this is the captain of 388. And just what kind of fun are you guys having flights tonight? It better be in all good spirits this game you're playing. You know we can't make it flight level 550. Well, this aircraft's only certificated a flight level 440, and we can't even make that without a full load of passengers and fuel. I'm sorry, but we're going to stay at flight level 370. Whoever you are, make note of that. 
Roger, I understand. You are leaving flight level 370 for flight level 550. Negative, 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 Senator. We're staying right where we are. And Navigation aids. Is this one of the Bahamian Island airports? 
we will be overweight to land unless we have a 10,000 foot runway. Well, Mike, Chuck, obviously we have been hijacked by some automated control system operated by some evil and fiendish group known as the Meter Triangle Center. You better get Luann up here and let's tell her what we know, which certainly is not very much right now. Hey, uh, Luann, you and uh, Elizabeth, come on up. The captain wants to fill you in on our flight in case you're wondering about all the power changes. Yeah, we thought we were climbing, and now it feels like we're descending. Elizabeth and I will be right up. and it looks like some military planes are flying alongside. Do we have a very important person on board? They sure look very close to our airplane. Let me lean over and have a look outside. Yeah, I do see that bright glow out there. Thanks, ma'am. I'll go and advise the captain right now. I'll be back and let you know what it might be. Oh, thanks, miss. I'll keep a lookout to see if they fly away or make any changes. You do that, and we'll be right back. What's going on, you guys? got a lady in 4A that sees a bright glowing light outside and some aircraft flying alongside. Realizing the flight was under the control of an outside force, the crew now has become passengers of their own heavy wide-bodied L-1011, commencing a descent for landing on a small island in the Caribbean Sea. As they descend for landing, in the distance they can see an airport which appears to be too small to handle their large jumbo jet. And as they fly closer to the island, the second officer comments. Captain, that, that runway sure looks shorter than what I've grown to accustomed to. I'm going to get into the aircraft manual and check out our landing weights. And if we have anything to say or do about it, yeah, the thought it entered my mind, too. See what weight we need to be for landing without driving the wheel struts up through the wings. And let's go. we got to assume that what we see down there is about 5,000 feet long. It can't be any longer. Just as I suspected, Captain, we're way too heavy for landing. I'm not sure if we touch down the runway, we'll be able to hold or, or support the weight. Even if, we, if it does, my concern, we may not be able to stop at the other end. Yeah, whoever's controlling us may know this and have plans that are out of our control, but we prepare the best we can. Call Luann to the cockpit immediately. Chuck, is anything we can do to get a weight down? Elizabeth and I are right behind you, Captain. You've got our attention. Well, I didn't see you come up. Uh, stand by for a minute, Luann. Luann. 
Well, the only thing I can think of is to jettison fuel. We're not being able to fly this aircraft ourselves. I'm not sure we'll be able to get our weight down in time. Lou Ann, we have a problem. First, we've been taken over by a force we've yet to determine. We're being forced to land at an airport we're too heavy to land at. And if we don't go off the runway, we still may not be able to stop at the other end. We are excessively overweight for landing. I know what you're, I know what you're going to say, and I'll get the cabin ready for possible crash landing or ditching. You guessed it. Prepare for a crash landing and or water ditching. Call me when you're list but have the cabin ready. We don't have much time. I expect to be touching down within the next 15 minutes or so, so call me when you're finished. Okay, we're on it, and I have to say that Air Kentucky Little Red Lear would look good right about now. Elizabeth, you get the flight attendants in the back ready for a crash landing or ditching, and I'll take the front cabin. Okay, Loran, we'll be ready in the back. What do we tell the passengers? They'll want to know what's going on, you know. Captain, can you help us out with PA announcements? Yeah, Elizabeth, I'll try to make up some sort of announcement as soon as we get this thing figured out. Just tell them the captain will be on the PA very soon. Okay, okay. cockpit door and pushes it open as she and Elizabeth proceed into the passenger cabin. Startled, they both look at each other in shock and disbelief. They both hurry to the rear cabin and discover the same quite emptiness there too. Even the rest of the, their crew is missing. They both turn around and rush back to the cockpit and bang the coded knock on the door. She hears the lock release and pulls the door open and rushes into the cockpit. Captain, you're not going to believe this, but both first class and coach are empty. Even the other five flight attendants are gone. Only Elizabeth and I are left. So now what are we going to do? Well, I don't time, have time to ask why or how. What the hell, Chuck? Get back in those performance books and tell me we'll be light enough to land now that all the people are gone. That should make quite a big difference. Luann, you and Elizabeth get the jump seats up here in the cockpit. Buckle yourself in tight. There's no need for you to go back to the cabin now. If we go off the end, we won't need to slide. Hell, maybe we will. Maybe they would, should float for us and we can get on them. Well, um, the weight's been reduced considerably, but we'd still be too heavy for landing. Whoever is controlling this flight has given us a helping hand. Maybe the missing passengers and the rest of Luann's crew will be waiting for us at the terminal when we land. I can't believe all this is happening. Captain, I just felt a small jolt in the controls, and it appears they've given back the flight controls to us. Uh, we can make our landing now. Uh, even though it's my leg, I would rather you make this landing. I, you, it's your aircraft, I think.
Hey, Captain, look over your left shoulder. Is that another airplane following us? And look how the plane is illuminated, just like the lady in 4A described it. Yeah, it looks like we have a Navy escort. Looks like a CBM-3 Avenger. And there's two others right alongside it. I got three of them over here on my side, Captain. They're definitely Navy Avenger aircraft. Hey, that's World War II aircraft. You don't suppose? The Lost Quadrant. There are six of them lost in the Bermuda Triangle on a mission back in 1945. This is really crazy. Maybe, maybe they're just making sure we land safely. I hope that's all. Okay, guys and gals, here we go. Whatever their intentions are, I'm sure we'll find out as soon as we get this plane on the ground, if that's possible. Give me their gear down and flap to 30. Let's do the landing check. We want this done right by the book, for sure. The first officer and second officer go through the landing checklist, and when the speed is reduced, the captain calls for 40 degrees flaps as he slows the aircraft for landing speed. On the radio altimeter, they hear the oral warning, 500 feet. The captain, first officer, and second officer take a quick glance to ensure the gear is down and flaps are full down and the aircraft is slowing to landing speed. The oral warning sings out 100 feet as the first officer takes a quick glance of the instrument panel and all lights are in agreement. Almost immediately following, they hear 50, 40, 30, 20, 10, power is reduced, and they wait for the ground to reach up and touch the wheels. Only this time, the wheels are reaching, too, and a solid landing is made. system, 
the aircraft and sets the brakes while the jetway comes alongside the plane? Well, I can say we're the only aircraft at this airport, BTI or whatever they call it. Chuck, maybe you better go back and open the L1 door. I don't think Lou Ann or Elizabeth will be able to handle what might be waiting in the jetway. Oh, bless you, Captain. You're sure reading my mind. I'm not sure I want to leave the safety of the plane, and I'm not sure I want to find out what's inside the terminal. I've never been on a situation like this before, and I have to admit, I'm getting nervous. I don't know about you, Luann, but I, I don't know. How are you How are you doing? I don't know what to think after seeing what was once a full aircraft of people now empty. Can it get any worse? And you think I can handle what's out there? I'm taking a cockpit crash tax, just in case. Hey, you want to lend me a hand, Mike? Hell no, I'm chicken. I'm going to stay here and help the captain with the unscheduled landing paperwork. We'll need to fill out when we get to San Juan. Unfastening the straps holding the cockpit crash axe, the second officer makes his way back to the L1 main cabin boarding door. The door has already been opened, but there is no one waiting to meet the flight. Okay, guys, it's open, and there's no one there. Maybe we ought to stay in the plane, restart our engines, and get the heck out of Dodge. Well, what we've been through to this point, I'm sure we just couldn't do this if we wanted to. Let's just suit up and go see what's going on, and I suggest we the plane all at one time. Hey, I see one of those Avengers parked off to my right. I sure didn't see him land a taxi in, and there's no pilots either. <laughs> As a group of five, the remaining crew walks down an empty jetway and into the terminal. To their total surprise, the five missing cabin crew members and all of Eastern Flight 388's passengers are sitting in the cavernous waiting area just inside the terminal. Suddenly, a young pilot dressed in a World War II flight suit appears in front of them. Welcome to BT ATOL number four, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Cap Lieutenant Charles Taylor. I've been chosen to welcome you to your new final destination here on the BT Atoll number four. You will be briefed on the rest of your life by my Navy Flight 19 crew, and I will debrief, uh, as we were debriefed, December 5th, 1945. You'll meet others that came by air and by sea in all types of vessels, military, private, commercial, like a beautiful equipment you parked outside. There's no need to detail all that is will become part of your legacy. You have the rest of your lives for that. But for now, welcome. The crew is escorted to a briefing room by Lieutenant Charles Taylor, where he is met by none other than Amelia Earhart, dressed as she was when she and Fred Noonan departed Lae, New Guinea, July 2nd, 1937, for Howland Island in the Pacific Ocean. Captain Jim, First Officer Mike, Second Officer Chuck, Miss Luann, and Miss Darth Elizabeth. Welcome to BT Atoll Number Four. 
SBT stands for Bermuda Triangle. I was sent from a similar area in the Pacific Ocean, known as DS for Devil Sea, Atoll Number 3. There are 12 such areas around the world. There's plenty of time to tell you about my own experience during my flight around the world in 1937. Let me tell you of a few others you will get to know here at BT Atoll Number 4. Some of our naval craft are the USS Pickering, August 20, 1800, with a crew of 90. The USS Wasp, October 9, 1814, with a crew of 140. HMS Atalant, January 1880, with a crew of 290. The USS Cyclops, March 4, 1918, with 390 naval personnel. Dorefu Kamaru, 1924, the Japanese freighter. Revenoff, December 1967, a racing yacht. There are many, many more of our ship guests you will be meeting. A few of our aviation guests are Navy Flight 19, known as the Lost Squadron, December 5, 1945, with six pilots. Star Tiger, the British Lancaster bomber. January 29, 1948, with a crew of six. San Juan to Miami, DC-3 Charter, December 28, 1949, with 36 passengers and crew. U.S. Globemaster, March 1950. U.S. Navy Constellation, October 1954, with 42 passengers and crew. U.S. C-119 Flying Boxcar, June 5th. 1965, with a crew of 10. All of the hundreds of life dwellers here will tell you, in their time, their own personal stories, and I'm sure they'll want to know yours. You've met Lieutenant Taylor, and he can give you details of his arrival here at BTR Joel Number 4. Lieutenant Taylor? Well, thank you, Miss Earhart. We were, or I should say we are, a training squadron of five TBM-3 Navy Adventure aircraft consisting of five officers and nine enlisted crew members. Our flight plan that December 5, 1945, was designed to take us in a triangular flight pattern starting at the Naval Air Station in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, then fly 160 miles east, 40 nautical miles to the north, and then back to our base, following a southwest course. We had enough fuel to cruise for over a 1,000 miles. It was a beautiful sunny day with a temperature in the mid-60s and a few scattered clouds in the area. This was ideal flying weather. We took off at 2 p.m. and gathered at 2.15 p.m. for our mission. I have over 2,500 flying hours and was the command pilot for this mission. I led the group to Chicken Shoals, just north of Bimini, where we made the bombing run on the first target. All of my pilots and crew are a very experienced group. At about 3.15 p.m. after bombing run we had accomplished, I called the Fort Lauderdale Tower, relaying an emergency situation that we seemed to be off course and we could not see land. The 
tower asked for our position, and I told him that I was not sure of my position and that we seemed to be lost. I instructed, I was instructed to take up a course of 270 degrees due west. I told him I was unable to determine which way west was and that everything seemed to be wrong. Even the ocean looked different. An instructor pilot, whom I did not know, picked up on my radio transmission to Fort Lauderdale Tower, and I told him that my, my compasses were both out, and I was sure that I was in the Keys, but I didn't know how far down. The instructor advised me to fly north and keep the sun on my port side until I reached the Lauderdale Naval Air Station. It was then that I saw a small island with a very short runway. It had become very windy and the water appeared to be more white than coloring. As, all, as we all landed our aircraft and have been here ever since December 5th, 1945. Shortly after our arrival, Lieutenant Combe and his crew of 13 arrived. They were sent out on the Martin Mariner flying boat patrol plane from the Banana River National Guard Station. To, he too experienced the same problems with his compass system becoming lost until he saw this island. Thank you, Lieutenant Taylor. You will hear many similar experiences from the dwellers here. We hope you will become adjusted to your new life on BT Atoll number four. With all due respect to you, Ms. Earhart and Lieutenant Taylor, Elizabeth and I will not stick around to hear any more of these stories as we have our trip to complete to San Juan. Luann turns and runs toward the gate where Eastern Flight 388 was parked, only to find there was no door, jetway, or aircraft, which they had brought in only a few minutes before. Nothing. Vacant. Gone. Luann pushed at the blank wall where recently there had been a door and passageway. Open, open, please, help, open. Tonight, I hope I can put this nonsense of a dream behind me. I'll just stay busy all day and forget that horrible dream. It is now check-in time at the Atlanta Eastern Flight Operations Briefing Room and the crew for Eastern Flight 388 have assembled for their crew briefing. Okay, folks, let me introduce the cockpit guys. I'm Captain Jim Holder. This is First Officer Mike Scott, and that fella is Second Officer Don Gagon. 
I see some of my crew members. I already know. Lou Ann, we've flown together, right? Yes, Cam, I remember so well our last trip to Providence on the missing aircraft, which reminds me of a dream I had last night. Oh, but you don't want to hear about my crazy dream. Oh, you too. I had a dream that would be a sequel to the worst Twilight Zone episode ever written. <laughs> and you'd never believe this one. Couldn't be any worse than the one I had. You've all got to be kidding. I, too, had a weird dream. It all took place in the Bermuda Triangle. Well, the Bermuda Triangle, you say. I had a dream, too, that involved that area of our flight tonight. Have you all all been discussing this before I'm meeting here? Man, this is some coincidence. I've been trying to forget it all day. I can't seem to shake it out of my head. Maybe it's because it's Halloween night. Did you say that our flight takes us through the Bermuda Triangle tonight, Captain? Smack dab in the middle, as middle gets, Luann. <laughs> hey, we don't believe in dreams, and the Bermuda Triangle, we all know, is just a imaginary for those wanting to write a book or make some money on stupid stuff like the Devil's Triangle. It's not about to happen tonight or any other night before or after tonight. I'm going to do the pre-fight, and you all on board, we'll see. The aircraft is, oh, no, it's 318, the ghost ship of L-1011. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Check your underwear. <laughs> Great, guys. The cast for tonight's show. Our narrator was Bill Joseph. Captain Steve, uh, our captain was Jim Holder. First officer, Mike Scott. Second officer, Chuck Albright. Luann Wiggins, played by Carrie Holder. Dorothy or Elizabeth, played by Dorothy Gagnon. The BTC <laughs> was me. Jim Hart was supposed to take that, and he had. Uh, Issues with the uh, his computer and I Neil has been radio problem. <laughs> tri- triangle squadron leader Lieutenant Taylor was played by Don Gagnon and Amelia Earhart, the voice of Amelia Earhart, Colleen DeFelis, and I was the Atlanta Tower. Did I leave anyone out? I think we got them all. Okay, that was uh, really good. Now, we have some very interesting facts about, I don't know whether they're called facts, but uh, stories about the Bermuda Triangle that have been written, and we want to bring out these points, some interesting points about the Bermuda Triangle. Jim Holder, would you start us out? Yes, I will. Thank you, Neil. The Triangle extends from Bermuda in the north to southern Florida and then east to a point through the Bahamas past Puerto Rico, to about 40 degrees west longitude, and then back to Bermuda. This is referred to as the Bermuda Triangle, where more than 100 airplanes and ships have literally vanished into the air or water. Most of them since 1945, and where more than 1,000 lives have been lost without a single body or even a piece of wreckage from the vanishing airplanes or ships having been found. Chuck? The most varied and imaginative explanations have been offered and seriously considered to account 
for the continuing disappearance and assumed fatalities because no bodies have been found. Some explanations include sudden tidal waves caused by earthquakes, fireballs which explode in the airplane, attacked by sea monsters, time-space warp leading to another dimension, electromagnetic and gravitational vortexes, which cause the planes to crash or ships to lose themselves at sea, captured or kidnapped by flying or submarine UFOs manned by entities from surviving cultures of entity outer space, or future for looking for specimens of currently existing inhabitants, and one that I've seen the other day, maybe microbursts. One of the most striking suggestions was actually predicted by Edgar Casey, the sleeping prophet, a psychic and healer who died in 1944. Casey predicted decades before the possibility of laser beams was suspected that the ancient Atlanteans used crystal as a power source, specifically located in the Bimini area and is and presumably subsequently sunk in the tongue of the ocean off Andros in the Bahamas, where many of the disappearances have taken place. In this concept, a maverick power source sunk a mile deep to the west of Andros would still be exerting its occasional pull on the compasses and electronic equipment of today's ships and planes. There are many marine or aeronautical authorities who would observe that it is perfectly natural for planes, ships, or yachts to disappear in an area where there is so much sea and air travel, subject to sudden storms, and the multiple possibilities of navigational mistakes and accidents. These same authorities are likely to make the comment that the Bermuda Triangle does not exist at all, and that the very term is a misnomer a manufactured mystery for the diversion of the curious and imaginative reader. The airlines that service the area, encompassed by the Bermuda Triangle, concur with this opinion with understandable enthusiasm, although there are many experienced pilots who are not so sure of its non-existence. Those who claim that the Triangle does not exist are in one sense correct, for the Bermuda Triangle of unexplained disappearances may not be a true triangle, but actually more of an ellipse, or perhaps a gigantic circle with the apex near Bermuda and the curved bottom extending from lower Florida past Puerto Rico, curving south and east through the Sargasso Sea, then back to Bermuda. Even the United States Coast Guard, which is, does not believe in the Bermuda Triangle, obligingly identifies the location to those requesting the information about it in a form letter file 572 from the 7th Coast Guard District. It begins as follows. The Bermuda Triangle, correction, the Bermuda or Devil's Triangle, uh, is imaginary area located off the southwestern Atlantic coast of the United States, which is noted for high uh, incidents of unexplained losses of ships, small boats, and aircraft. These apexes of the triangle are generally accepted to be Bermuda, Miami, Florida, and San Juan, Puerto Rico. 
No further message was ever received from the Flight 19 training mission or from the Martin Mariner that was sent to rescue them. In spite of the one history's most intensive searches involving 240 planes, 67 additional planes from the carriers uh, Solomons, four destroyers, several submarines, 18 Coast Guard vessels, search and rescue cutters, hundreds of private planes, yachts, and boats, and additional PBMs from the Banana River Naval Air Station, and help from the Royal Air Force and Royal Navy units in the Bahamas, nothing was found. A daily average of 167 flights flying about 300 feet above the water from dawn to dusk. A minute inspection of 380,000 square miles of land and sea, including Caribbean, the Caribbean parts of the Gulf of Mexico, and the Florida mainland and neighboring islands, with air search time totaling 4,100 hours, revealed no life rafts, no wreckage, and no oil slicks. The beaches of Florida were checked daily for a period of several weeks for identifiable flotsam from the lost planes, but without success. Lieutenant Commander R.H. Wershing, a training officer at the Fort Lauderdale Naval Air Base at the time of the incident, thinks that the word disappear is an important factor concerning the fate of the crew of Flight 19, as no proof has ever been abduced that they effectively perished. A mother of one of the lost pilots who attended the naval briefing incident at the time stated that she had received the impression that her son, quote, was still alive somewhere in space, unquote. Dr. Manson Valentine, a scientist who has watched the area for many years from Miami, was quoted by the Miami News as saying, they are still there, but in different dimensions of a magnetic phenomenon that could have been set up by a UFO End quote. A Coast Guard officer, a member of the Board of Inquiry, expressed himself with a rather refreshing frankness, and as he observed, quote, we don't know what the hell is going on out there, end of quote. A final, more normal statement from another officer of the Board expressed the consensus of the investigating officers, quote, this unprecedented peacetime law seems to be a total mystery, the strangest ever investigated in the annals of naval aviation, unquote. We now live in a world where the lines of science and power science are converging, a world where what was once magic or the dreams of magicians have been adopted by science and made acceptable by science nomenclature. Biologics can now produce life. Cryogenic biologists will soon be able to preserve human life indefinitely through freezing live bodies. That transfer of pictures to film has been proven. Psychokinesis, the moving of objects by force of will, is no longer uh, a matter for levity, but one of serious experimentation. Telepathy to and from outer space is a subject for experiments by both of the leading space powers. The alchemist's dream, the transmutation of matter, is no longer impossibility, and the only impediment to transmuting quantities of lead lead into gold is that it would be too expensive.
On a more cosmic scale, the firmament of scientific verities has opened into crevices so great that many of those who prefer to stand on solid and familiar ground feel dizzy and disoriented. The possibility of the existence of antimatter, the curvature of space and time, new concepts of gravity and magnetism, the suspected existence of dark planets in our own system, imploding suns, novas, and small particles of matter heavier than an entire planet, quasars and the dark holes in space, an endless universe which grows larger as our telescopic vision extends to millions of undiscovered galaxies. This is the arcane knowledge that awaits us as we rush forward at so accelerated a speed that no mystery should surprise us simply because it does not seem logical. The Bermuda Triangle, an area located on the familiar territory of our planet, although perhaps connected with forces which we do not yet but may soon understand, may be one of these mysteries. As a species, we are now approaching maturity. We cannot retreat from the search for knowledge or new explanations, either in this world or beyond. The points in commentary have been taken from Charles Berlitz's book, The Bermuda Triangle. Thank you so much, host and cast. We appreciate uh, the uh, entertainment and the information that... Uh, Charles Burlitz uh, had in his book, The Bermuda Triangle, and now we want to uh, see if we can get some opinions from those uh, of our hosts and listeners about uh, their view about the Bermuda Triangle. I'm going to start off with Shea Oakley. I think he has a commentary of his own about the Bermuda Triangle. So, Shay, how about starting us off? Uh, well, first of all, I want to say, Neil, that uh, Rod Serling's got nothing on you, uh, I, uh, I, especially when, the, when when they found out their escort was the uh, was the Avengers. I love that moment in particular. That was uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, now I feel like I'm uh, going to be a spoil sport because. Uh, yeah, my my input into this is back in the 70s is when this uh, the whole Bermuda Triangle thing was at its height, and I was a kid back then, and I I had all the books. I had Bermuda Triangle, Devil's Triangle, Limbo of the Lost, I like that one especially. Uh, but one day I was at the bookstore, and uh, there was a, a book on the shelf in the mystery section called The Bermuda Triangle Mystery Solved, and. Uh, I immediately asked my parents if I could have this book because I figured, wow, all right, they finally found out that it's UFOs or Atlanteans or a time warp or whatever. Well, it turned out it was written by an investigative reporter named Lawrence uh, David Kush, and he went into the records uh, for both uh, sea and air uh, incidents that recorded in the legend of, of the Triangle. And he did really deep research into them. And what he found was that well, it was as bad as some of the ships being invented altogether. They had never existed. They, they couldn't find any record of them in Lloyd's, uh, you know, of London's shipping list. Uh, in other cases, you had ships or aircraft that were supposed to be disappearing in perfect weather, and when he went back and looked at the weather, there was a hurricane or a gale. Uh, there were other ones where they said nothing was ever found. There was no trace, and actually wreckage had been found. Uh, Pretty much, 
90% of the of the legend uh, that the various aircraft and ships that were lost were were distorted in one way or another, or just made up wholly. Now, there are were a couple exceptions to that. Flight 19 was one of them, uh, but there were a few things about Flight 19 that that they really weren't discussed in the uh, the books uh, prior to his. Uh, he went back and looked at the Navy investigative records and found that there were a whole bunch of things that were going on that day and that night because their fuel was exhausted at 8 p.m. Uh, that aren't in the legend, uh, including the fact that they got a, a fix on them as being well north of the Bahamas, but they couldn't hear uh, when they were trying to radio the fix to them. Uh, the fact that it was pretty clear that uh, they were flying uh, north thinking they were in the Gulf of Mexico when they were actually uh, east of Florida, north of the Bahamas, uh, and that uh, they weren't willing to transfer radio over to a frequency that would have been easier to get a triangulation on them uh, and contact with them because uh, Taylor didn't want to uh, have any change in, in radio frequencies because he had the aircraft and his command. He didn't want anybody to be on the wrong frequency. And then finally, the fact that at 8 o'clock when they reached fuel exhaustion, uh, the weather was uh, described as high winds and tremendous seas. Uh, they had good weather when they left. Bad weather had come in that night. Uh, so, based on on that, I think you're you're looking at five aircraft that uh, that ran out of fuel, went down in heavy seas. Even in a good ditching, an Avenger was was good for about 50, 60 seconds on the surface before it sank, uh, hitting the water uh, in in heavy uh, conditions. Uh, it would have sank almost immediately. Um, oh, and then the Mariner flying boat. I'll, I'll end with this. The Mariner flying boat is part of the, the Flight 19 legend that the first uh, aircraft they sent out to look for it disappeared. Well, it did disappear uh, at exactly the point that it uh, was seen by the USS Gaines Mills, which was a ship that saw an aircraft explode in flight and, uh, and crash in flames. And the Mariners were known as flying uh, gas cans. They had bad reputation for fuel leakage. Uh, Cruise didn't dare light a cigarette on board a Mariner PBM, and uh, it's pretty clear what happened to that aircraft. In fact, the Gaines Mills found an oil slick and some wreckage, although the Navy wasn't able to find it the next day, but with that kind of weather, you would expect that. So I am a total triangle skeptic. I don't believe there's anything supernatural going on whatsoever, but it was a great story. Uh, when I was a kid back in the 70s, and I was reading all that kind of stuff, including, by the way, the ghost of uh, Flight uh, 401, which I think I read so many times the book fell apart. <laughs> <laughs> so that, and, uh, that's my take on it. Shay, uh, did they make a movie about this with Ernest Borgnine in it also? Uh, well, they they made a movie about the ghost of Flight 401, yeah, where, where yeah, Borgnine, yeah. I think, played Don Repo. Uh, yeah. Yeah, there, there was a movie about it. And I actually bought the book again recently, not because of the ghost story, but because uh, Fuller did a pretty good description of the flight and the accident and the investigation itself. Yeah. So it's worth having for that. Uh, <clears throat> but I'm not buying the, uh, the ghost story. <laughs> so, okay. Neil, I got, yeah, a, I got a little Benita Triangle. Uh, Go ahead. I saw, it surprised me that the U.S. Air Force C-119 was lost in 1965. 
Well, before I came with Easton, I was fresh out of pilot training, and my unit had the C-119J models. And in 1962, we were flying support for the Cuban crisis to the Puerto Rico Air Guard. And we came out of uh, the plane somewhere, spent the night at Miami at the homestead just south of Miami. And I was brand new on the airplane, and the flight commander, the crew commander was uh, a captain, and he certainly supposed to know what he's doing. And we took off into San Juan, and we almost became part of the Bermuda Triangle stories because she flew the wrong head for about 100 miles, and we were outside of land, and we were VFR, no radar, no nothing. And then the brilliant co-pilot realized that we were supposed to be flying about 120, not 90. He was flying the wrong radio on the departure. And, boy, I'll tell you, we made a hard, screaming-ass right turn. Otherwise, we'd have been the second, the first C-119 lost in it would be the crack. Now, I'm supposed to be single, Neil, just like you and Mike and everybody else. And that's the only time I ever felt like I was in any danger. But but uh, we survived that little venture. I know, by the way, Shay, I, too, noticed that uh, Meredith that went for him was seen to blow up. But, of course, they don't put that in the stories. That they, if no, they don't. Blown up. Yeah, yeah, I got a story. They made a triangle story. All right, Mike, I got your stories, stories from my from my dad from when he flew for Eastern. He had a, a couple of stories that he did out there in that area back in the when he was flying captain on the 720 and the DC-8 later on, uh, uh, back in part of it due to that control 1150 that they used to have uh, going southbound out of uh, in the old charts. Uh, he had a lot of compass. Several times he had some compass problems. Uh, going to where everything would go kind of haywire. Even the whiskey compass would all start swinging around and all that, but eventually it straightened out. There was no problems or anything, but there was definitely a lot of uncertainty going on at the time, and everybody looked at each other, as my dad said, and uh, it, it squared away. And myself, I, I've flown down in that area much later, and I never once ever had a problem flying through the Bermuda Triangle at all, except for my own mistakes. <laughs> but yeah. anyway, that's uh, that's my oh, story. On <laughs> my understanding is there's no there's no part of the oceans of similar size anywhere in the world where you can't look and find you know instances of uh, aircraft that they don't have or ships lost that they don't have the final word on. Uh, the the triangle is not unique. Well, well, it's you know, like they always used to say that passengers always used to come up to the cockpit uh, when you're flying a, an oceanic uh, crossing, either Atlantic or Pacific, and they look out of the cockpit window and they say, "Boy, there's a lot of water out there." And I used to just tell them, I "says Yeah, and that's just the top." Very good. I'm going to open the microphones now because we do have some uh, callers that have been through the entire program. We hope you enjoyed the broadcast and that you will return to our... I want to go live now with the three remaining folks that have struggled through the terrible sound clips that you have just heard. 
the cast did a great job. I think I think the script uh, needed a little adjustment here and there, and uh, I'm just asking the question now to those that are still on board with me right now live after the show, our Halloween show. Would you be willing to do a, another show completely revamped and uh, <laughs> and a little bit more? But, you know, I think the information, especially uh, the shade, I think, did a great job. All of you did a great job. And um, let me hear some of the comments. I think Don and Dorothy, you're still with me. And Chuck, you're yeah, still we with are. me. Uh, you uh, you yep. were the second officer. And, and Mike, you were the first officer. Jim Holder's listening to us on the Internet, so he's not with us. And, and uh, what's your thoughts about uh, our show tonight. We've been doing it for five years, by the way, and it's still it's still homemade. It's still kitchen table, but uh, I think it's a lot of information that we had and a little bit of suspense. Well, Neil, if you do do a rewrite, I'm all for it. So count me in. <laughs> yeah, me too, Neil. Me too. You Neil. did a great job, all of you. Me three. Okay, Mike. <laughs> Well, we got to bring up some more folks. But in our earlier presentations, when we first did this show, about, like I say, I think it's been more than five years ago. And we did it uh, with a with a, a cast that uh, different people didn't have to double up. And it was a, a very good show. Uh, and we tried to, I think we, this is the third uh, edition of this show, third edition, meeting different cast members, and uh, but uh, pretty much the same writing. I'd like to clean up a lot of it and add a little bit uh, more to it. But uh, what do you guys think? Well, Did I, you learn anything? Well, I know that my idea of the microburst got shot down because <laughs> I don't think a microburst will go that high. Yeah. Yeah. They had that on television one time, the, the, the microbose theory. Every, I don't know if you guys have ever heard that or how the, um, the different chemicals and stuff mixing that deep in the ocean, and it's like a bubble that comes up and yeah. explodes, and uh, whatever's above it, a ship or a plane above it, just literally just sinks it right down as a complete unit. But uh, yeah. he he described pretty well um, things that that could possibly uh, have happened uh, in a logical manner, and so my my micro well, you know, is a little theory right now. <laughs> I'm yeah. a little shaky. You know the part that Dorothy, I think that you uh, read about uh, the things uh, like Casey and uh, you know those folks that you know, were kind of prophets of their day. Uh, we're here in, well, today, and on the Internet, we're reading, I think it was announced today by NASA, that they found water on the moon. Yeah, I heard that today. Exactly. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of like that. We found a bottle of Poland yeah. Spring that the guys left behind. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was it. Well, I don't know if anybody has ever heard the 
the the theory is that originally back in the when a, the everything was starting to form in the universe that that a large chunk was knocked off the earth and that's what caused the moon yeah and the spinning just made it you know circular mm-hmm. anybody ever heard of that it was like yeah. an asteroid yeah. hit hit earth and knocked off a big chunk and that became our moon no. No, I didn't hear that. Well, uh, very interesting. There's something and, like. Uh, it was so, a good show tonight, so, I, I, but it was a, a a rebroadcast show, and we, we did uh, laugh a lot. Do what? Yeah, we did. Dorothy? <laughs> we did laugh a lot. <laughs> yeah, we got to clean up our acting a little bit. When I say clean it up. You know, it, this is kitchen table radio, and we don't have yeah, rehearsals. There, there has never been a rehearsal of this broadcast, or for that matter, any broadcast that we've done over ten years. There's been no rehearsal. Everything has been spontaneous, and according to the script, and people have come in. So, what can you expect? But I thought it was good. It kept my attention for the four. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, it sounded really good. I enjoyed it, honestly, because we're always talking it, but to sit and listen to it, it was really good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can see a lot. Well, it's still good today. Well, I can see a lot of parts that need to be cleaned up, and we can do that. But that's, you know, that's the fun part of doing this, is really, we don't know what to expect, and um, but at any rate, it's it's a lot of fun, and uh, we're going to take it out of here now. We've gone over our time, and uh, so we're going to come back to live radio, which we've been talking here for the last minute or two, and we're going to hear a little sign-off music, and I'm going to take it out of here until, let's see, our next show is going to be Thursday with the Reaper Radio Hour and got some good uh, good stories to broadcast at that time. That's Thursday at 3 p.m. And then, Dorothy, I forgot. What's our next show? I forgot. Do you recall next Monday night? Is, uh, EAL History and Music and the Greatest Songwriters. Oh, yeah. Great American Songwriters. That'll be fun. Yeah, that'll be fun and enjoyable. Okay, guys. Okay. Happy birthday, Chuck. Chuck, yeah. Thank you very much, everybody. Can we sing happy birthday to Chuck? Happy birthday. Well, we'll let Merle Hydras sing you out of here, Chuck, on your birthday. I like him. All right. Thanks, guys.